Today's episode is sponsored by the RevOps experts at Fullcast. With me is their head of customer success, Tyler Simons. Hey, Tyler. Revenue efficiency, sales productivity are everything today. How does Fullcast's go-to-market planning platform help RevOps teams achieve these types of goals? Well, Fullcast lets you build better territories so that the right resources are always focused on the right opportunities. When reps are motivated and zeroed in on their targets, they'll be more successful and bring in more revenue. That sounds great. I do a lot of that planning in spreadsheets today and I'm pretty happy with my spreadsheets. How is Fullcast any better than that? You must get rid of the spreadsheets because (laughs) spreadsheets create lag and errors. With Fullcast, planning and updating happen automatically all in one place. Best of all, it automates all common headache-inducing planning activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So when you're faced with those go-to-market plan changes, which, you know what, they happen all the time, Fullcast has your back. All right, you got me convinced. Where do I learn more about Fullcast? Our website, fullcast.io. everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. If you listen to this podcast, chances are you've come across the MarTech map graphic at some point in your career. You know the one I'm talking about, the graphic that depicts the entire marketing technology landscape filled with so many logos that they are impossible to even see with the naked eye. If you go back in time to 2011, there were only 150 companies on that graphic. In 2014, 10 years ago, there were just shy of 1,000 logos. Today, that number is over 13,000 MarTech software tools available in the market. 13,000. And the man behind that famous graphic, and its accompanying report, is here to make sense of that ecosystem for the rest of us. That man is Scott Brinker. VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot and editor at chiefmartech.com. Scott's MarTech for 2024 report came out just prior to us sitting down to chat. In our conversation, we talk about the hack pack stack approach to building your tech stack. He explains to me why composability is the key to creativity and operations. And of course, I couldn't let Scott leave without him teaching me some real tactical use cases for AI in operations. To start though, Scott's new report taught me that in the last year alone, 2,000 new tools have been added to the MarTech landscape. So how should we as operators react to this constant explosion of available options? I think the two things I would say is one, all tools are not created equal. I mean, the MarTech stack has many different layers and you've got like your primary systems that are like orchestrating things across your business. These are the things you need incredibly well integrated. You can't change this stuff a lot. You don't want to be swapping things in and out. Like it's, it literally is like that Gartner pace layering thing of, you know, systems of record, systems of differentiation, systems of innovation. I wouldn't use quite those labels, but, you know, you sort of think of it as that layer. And where I feel like a lot of the tools that have come out here in the past year, I put them at the very, very top. There are a bunch of things that, quite frankly, most of them are experimental. There are a lot of tools that can be used for individuals to maybe try ways to, like, optimize their particular workflow. 
you start to get down to some of these other tools that, oh, let's say if I'm wanting to have an updated chatbot on my website that's now leveraging Gen AI and connecting to more of my knowledge bases and content to provide more self-service. Okay, that's a little bit deeper down. It does require more connectivity. But even those things, they're not the same level of complexity of starting to work with those that if you're like, oh, I want to swap out my entire marketing automation system or, oh, I'm going to implement this thing that does all my like social media monitoring and customer service and get that. And I mean, those things are still massive. A lot of these tools that have come out in this past year, they're just not in that category. In fact, actually, right, we have the data from the report. The vast majority were what we would label as content tools. And they're things of like, oh, well, let's help people generate more content or better content or things like that, which you can take it or leave it. But it's more of an individual's workflow process than it is like, oh, how do I embed it that thing? I don't know if, you know, like if I'm using mid journeys, some sort of thing here to like create these groovy images, like how do I make sure that's embedded in the full like digital operations workflow? You're like, no, nah, I really don't care at this point. So that's one dimension of it. The other dimension is you see so many specialization and we tried to go into the report into this idea of like the long tail of like, well, what's in here? And you've got like a bunch of stuff that's incredibly regional. You might have stuff that are add-ons for particular ecosystems. You're seeing more and more of these like vertical industry technologies. And the thing about those is they are very interesting for the people who they're relevant to. But for the average person, like a huge swath of this stuff, it's just not relevant to you. It's like, oh, well, I'm not a business based in Czechoslovakia. So the leading Czechoslovakian customer service tool yeah, I'm not even going to look at it. Or I'm not in. I'm not a manufacturer, so this CRM that's really focused on manufacturing, I'm never going to look at it. You know, or if it's like, oh, there's a plugin for HubSpot. You know, that's this really awesome plugin for HubSpot. But I'm a Marketo user. Oh my god, I shouldn't say that live. People are going to be like, well, I'm not going to look at those tools. They're not relevant to me. So there's that too. The thing I appreciate about the report is, regardless of whether you fall into one of those specific industries or verticals that Scott was alluding to. He and his co-author, Franz Remersma, also offer tactical ways for you to approach this monstrosity of tech stack options. They recommend a hack-pack-stack approach. Hack to figure out the capability and feasibility of a tool, pack to standardize the processes around it, and stack to ultimately automate and put that tool into low-maintenance mode and so that it's scalable for the future. So I asked Scott, about how he thinks about this type of experimentation to keep up with the rapid pace of change. Marketing is just one of these disciplines, probably actually, maybe with the exception of software development, it's probably one of the disciplines that changes the most rapidly. And the reason it changes rapidly is not because marketers want it to change rapidly. It's because expectations of consumers, customers are like constantly evolving anytime new technologies or new modes of interaction become popular out in the world and customers start to expect that is like, oh, well, a great company would be able to do this for me. It's like marketers have to go after that. The other thing that, you know, is always constant for marketing is who was it? Andrew Chen way back when coined this thing, the law of shitty click-throughs. That basically, you know, marketing, you'll have a marketer who will discover some new way of like, oh, this is how I could hack this thing in SEO, or oh, this is how I could do this viral thing here. And it will have like a phenomenal performance. 
And then like a few other marketers will be like, oh, wow, that's really awesome. I'll do that. And then they too get performance. But as more and more people start to do it, the efficacy of it, you know, starts to slowly drop eventually to the point where everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, you have to be doing X. It's no longer a differentiator. It often is saturating or oversaturating particular channels. And then it basically drops down to like either the median or below the median in its performance. And so what does a marketer need to do? Well, they need to go figure out like, okay, well, what's the next thing that's going to like break me away from the pack? And so because marketing is just under so much pressure to continually evolve its strategy and tactics that way, it is very relevant for marketers to be looking at these new waves of technology, not because they're obsessed with shiny object. I think that's a false accusation that gets lobbied at a lot of marketers. It's just because like, hey, listen, we need to experiment. We need to be understanding like where things are happening on the edge, because that's actually where our opportunity is to get some sort of outsized return. Unfortunately, the nature of experiments on the edge is most of them won't work. And so you need to have this relatively lightweight process where, okay, we can try something. This didn't work. Jettison it. Try this other thing. Didn't work. Jettison. Try this one. Ooh, seeing something interesting here. Let's, all right, let's do it, go a little bit further with this one. And so that's why I think, yeah, having, and credit goes to Franz here for, you know, the hack stack structure is being able to just be fairly lightweight in that hack mode to see like what moves the needle, what impacts customers, what impacts us. And it's only once you find something that you see like, okay, this is working and it's repeatable and we can control it. Then you start to get into the mode of like, okay, let's start to systematize this. And one of the other things that kind of jumped out at me, both in that experimentation concept and in, in other parts of the report is you guys are advocating for this creativity almost that I don't think necessarily existed before or wasn't possible before, right? And you talk about it using a term composability, which to me was a new term from the last time you and I had chatted. Can you talk about what that means and kind of help define that for folks listening? Yeah. So the way I would say it's interpreted now, and then we maybe talk a little bit about why, even though it sounds like a new and exciting thing and is in some ways... It's actually kind of an old concept that already exists. We just don't think of it that way very often. But it's this idea of like, okay, today and for the past five years, 10 years, marketers have largely purchased commercial software to do a particular thing. The software works a certain way out of the box, and it's kind of a take it or leave it. Maybe there's a little bit of you know margin on the edge to configure or tweak, but it's largely, oh, I've got this package that does X. And I've got some other package I get that does Y, you know, and I get this other app that maybe does Z. And I've thought about, okay, well, for any given like workflow or any given customer experience that I'm trying to create, maybe I want elements of X and Y and Z to participate in that. And to date, that's usually been hard. I mean, this is where sort of the current generation of integration technology is tried to help with this. But in an ideal world, what people really want to do is they want to lift above the actual software packages. And they really do want to think of this through the lens of like, okay, what is the ideal workflow I want for my digital operations? What's the ideal customer experience that I want to deliver at a particular touch point? And to then in an ideal world, have this freedom to say like, oh, well, I've got data here, here, and here, and I've got this service here, here, and here. And I basically want to bring those together and have them work you know, seamlessly in this particular way. And this is what composability is really about. And we've 
been slowly heading this way. I mean, if you think of things like iPass tools, workflow things, everything from like Zapier to Workado to stuff like that, that's kind of what those tools do. They're like, oh, yeah, I can structure a workflow. And if it crosses multiple app boundaries, yeah, that's fine. A lot of what's happening in the data layer right now where people are bringing more data down into the cloud data warehouse, one of the advantages of it says like, okay, well, now if I have a particular use case I want data for, oh, I'm not restricted to just the data of one particular tool or another particular tool. If any of the data that anywhere got into the cloud data warehouse, I now have the ability to like, oh, pick and choose a set of data that I can leverage for this use case I have in mind. And so this is really powerful because it starts to get us into a mode where individual businesses, individual marketing teams, yeah, can start to use their creativity and their imagination of like, okay, it's not what any one particular software vendor thinks I should be doing. It's like, oh, what do I want to do? How do I want to differentiate what we do? And making that easier and easier over time. I'm using the word easier as a relative <laughs> statement. It's definitely not easy yet today, but... But it's getting easier, and a lot of these things with Gen AI are actually helping to accelerate making it easier yet. And I think, too, like this is an opportunity for ops folks to take advantage of in terms of inserting their own creativity in the way that you're describing, right? So instead of just spending time connecting the plumbing on those out-of-the-box versions of the software that you were describing before, you can kind of pick and choose and mold these the kind of internal and external experiences across all of these different apps, right? You said the term digital operations as you were describing that creativity. Can, can you expand on that and what you mean by that? Yeah, I would say like this is, it's the other side of digital transformation, right? So we had a good 10 years or so of people were like, oh, well, we've got to digitally transform. I think, you know, for better and worse, thanks to the pandemic, most companies have, in my opinion, crossed that threshold where more of their business actually operates, you know, through digital systems than before. So what does it mean once you've been transformed digitally? Well, it means actually a lot of your business is actually being run by software, not hands-off run by software. A lot of people, a lot of ops people in particular, who are the ones uh, flying the plane here. But a lot of stuff is instrumented. A lot of stuff, you know, is, if not automated, connected to systems that are, you know, helping to orchestrate and drive it. And I step back and I look at the whole business running across all these different digital tools and capabilities. And I think of that as digital operations, which, you know, it's going to be like, what was it? Digital marketing. It's going to be one of those things where we're going to call it digital operations today because <laughs> this is kind of novel, but you give it five or 10 years and we're just going to call it operations because that's just what it is. This is such an important point because this is where the opportunity for operators comes into play. This is our opportunity to be creative. We can craft, as Scott puts it, the digital operations of our companies. And so if we're conductors of our own orchestra here, the next logical question is, which instruments do we pick to play? And how do we pick them? Here's Scott. This has been a passion of mine for at least eight years here in the market. Basically, once the MarTech map started going beyond a few hundred, it became very clear integration, we'll put that in quotes because it means different things to different people, but integration was clearly the thing that was holding back everyone from taking advantage of all this incredible innovation. And so, yeah, a lot of the things that I've been championing now, you know, for the past year, one way or another about like, okay, well, I've got all this stuff, 
but what's the flexibility I have to get this stuff to work together? And composability, the way we're talking about it, is almost like a higher level even above that. But it sort of assumes as an underlying capability, well, I actually have access to this stuff. I, I can't connect to it programmatically. I can't. I certainly can't compose it. So yeah, I think it's interesting to me that in all the various frameworks that have been out there, you know, from the Gartners and the Foresters and the IDCs, you know, they've made a very good living of like helping teams try and understand, well, how do I rank and compare different options? Uh, G2, you know, is a great site that's in many ways democratized that. But I hadn't run across anyone who like really explicitly was analyzing these products on an axis of like, well, actually, how composable are they? How open are they? And I think as we head down this path where, oh yeah, actually so much of the interesting stuff we want to do with our digital operations or these composed customer experiences, like sort of as a requirement requires us to be able to access this stuff over API or some sort of other integration substrate. Yeah, like that's certainly something like if I was building a stack or leading a stack at this point in time, that'd be a big part of my evaluation. The other thing you're making me think about is kind of the role that ops people either can or should play in their own company's kind of product development, right? A lot of the stuff we're talking about around APIs would maybe be something that would be handled by like an integrations engineering team or an engineering group that's focused on partnerships and like getting that kind of API coverage. And what I'm also hearing though is like maybe ops folks should kind of be integral in those conversations because I think that's where a lot of the use cases might come from. Yeah, that's exactly how I would look at it is one of the challenges with marketing ops in particular is they didn't have a lot of IT support, you know, for a good period of this past decade. In fact, this was part of how the whole MarTech stack came to be independent of IT is just marketing for what we were talking about earlier, this situation marketers are in is so they're just always having to chase change. And so they needed to be able to just evolve their tool set at a rate faster than the rest of the company was willing to move. Now that's evolved because yeah, as we talk about true digital transformation, now the whole company is in on this thing. Like things like take a cloud data warehouse. This is not a marketing tool. This is an underlying like IT technology that marketing can certainly benefit and leverage from. But you're increasingly seeing these IT teams and these data teams, you know, these engineering teams take on the responsibility for the like the core infrastructure to support a lot of this, which is fantastic because that's really where their expertise is. And a lot of marketing ops people, while they were doing that work out of necessity, wasn't necessarily where their expertise was. But you put your finger on it. Where their expertise is, is they are the translation layer between like, okay, what does the marketing organization actually want to do? Like strategically, tactically, you know, individual customer experiences, the customer journey components of like, you know, how we're doing this. They know, they understand the domain of marketing. And then they know how to map the capabilities that the underlying infrastructure and systems offer and their role can be like, okay, how do we operationalize what marketing wants to do given this set of technologies? And the more time, the more freedom, the more underlying power that ops people are given to be able to like, okay, well, let's really now focus on the use cases. And particularly if you get in that place where you're like able to compose things in a very creative way. Oh man, that's like golden. This episode is sponsored by Fullcast, the company that helps operators build better sales territories. 
Their platform focuses the right sellers on the right opportunities, making them unstoppable. And the cherry on top? Fullcast automates common go-to-market activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So the plan is always in sync with operations. With Fullcast, say goodbye to go-to-market planning headaches and hello to your own personal planning assistant. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io. Okay, back to Scott. Before the break, Scott was highlighting for us the value and potential of composability in the modern tech stack. And more than that, the opportunity for operators to be the creative drivers for how to implement and ultimately leverage that composability. So let's get into some of the actual use cases for composability. Where my mind goes here is to the concept of go-to-market plays. What are triggers that we can use from disparate data sets that we might not have had access to before to trigger a play that the go-to-market team can then run? Scott and I were originally introduced to talk about partner operations, and we both agreed that this idea of composability is something you can use not just for connecting digital operations internally at your own company, but between different companies as well. One of the ways I think about it is inside SaaS in particular, there's been this whole rise of, you know, product-led growth, PLG, which is all very much about like, okay, the way people are actually interacting with the software, we can use this as a whole series of triggers for either an automated, semi-automated, or, you know, other ways of basically growing them as customers. What's fascinating is when you think about it, really any company and asymptotically, this is becoming every company that has any sort of digital experience where they're engaging their audience, their customers, the sort of PLG mentality emotions are increasingly applicable. And what it comes down to is saying is like, okay, what I want to be able to do is tap into the behavioral data of how people are interacting with our business. And then I can start to go down this laundry list of like, oh, well, when they do X, Y, and Z, I want to like trigger A, B, and C. This is like that whole category of stuff we talk about, like experimentation. There will be a bunch of these things that marketers will experiment with and a number of them won't work. But it is such a wide field of like combinatorial possibilities. There's going to be a lot of stuff that will. And so if you just have that freedom and that visibility across the company to leverage behavioral data, I think marketing is going to get incredibly creative with that. And then I love, yeah, you bring up the ecosystem side of it is, of course, right. Okay, if I've got these partnership relationships, now it's starting to understand behavioral data with us, behavioral data with our partners. How can we collaborate together on both, you know, not just seeing these patterns across the ecosystem, but then even optimizing like, okay, well, now that we see this pattern, who's the right person to like reach out? It may not actually be my company. It might actually be, hey, I want to send this trigger to you to like reach out to them because you will be a better fit for serving what that opportunity is. Oh my God, like we've not even scratched the surface of what's possible with these things. It's so easily overlooked, but showing people what's possible is a huge part of stretching the capability of any tool in your stack. Every time I meet with a new vendor, I say to them, I want to stretch what's possible in your tool more than any other customer you have. Tell me about the most impressive, the most unique use cases you've seen people using because I want to do them too. And there's no better example in the market right now where we are all trying to learn what's possible than AI. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk to someone as plugged into the tech ecosystem as Scott and not ask him about it. But not just the buzzword. 
I need his help to teach me what's possible with AI and some of the use cases for AI within everything else that we've been talking about around digital operations. We'll get over to generative AI in a moment because that's where everyone's so excited about things. But actually, old-fashioned AI, machine learning stuff. Actually, we've still barely begun to tap what's possible with that because, again, like machine learning is absolutely one of those things that it is all a function of what data do you have available to you? What's the accuracy of that data, the relevance, the freshness of it? And it's only right now that we're starting to get to the place where we're connecting enough of our data infrastructure where, wow, the data you could potentially feed into these machine learning algorithms to like understand where is there an opportunity to like reach out to a particular customer. Still a lot of runway there. So very excited about that. I think on the generative AI, a lot of people talk about its use in content, and I think that's amazing. Those use cases have been well covered. The things I get excited about is using generative AI to provide a greater circumference of people who are able to work with the data and the technology. You know, in two very specific examples, so one would be just on the data side. Marketers, perhaps more than any other profession, are an unlimited font of data questions. They're like, oh, well, I wonder what happened with this cohort doing this, and if I segmented it on this other thing, and how that compared to this other one. And as a result, they have an infinite queue for any poor data analyst who is, happens to be connected to the marketing department of just like, yeah, there's just an unlimited set of answers that marketers constantly have. And if I give them the answer they ask for, they come up with 10 more questions from that one particular answer. That's never happened to me before, Scott. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is, this is actually what marketers should be doing, because again, this is how they experiment on the edge to find what are the opportunities. If you can enable more and more self-service for when marketers have a question, but they don't know SQL, they don't know the map of all the different tables and all the different stores, but they know the question and they know how to ask it. And if they get an answer that wasn't quite what they wanted, they know how to reframe, like, no, this is close, but could you do it on this other thing? And like, you're starting to see these first generation of Gen AI tools that are providing that translation layer between the data and yeah, human questions. And it's not perfect today, but oh my God, what's possible today versus what was a year ago, it's a quantum leap. And the speed at which that stuff is iterating and getting better and better I think we're actually going to see this case where like, you know, you're going to have marketers who just get a ton of value of being able to like self-service, not all of their questions, but oh my goodness, like a huge swath of the questions that they have. And I think you could also take the same thing from a composability perspective. And if you look at, again, some of the iPass folks today, like, you know, Workado and Zapier and folks like that, they've actually already created these Gen AI interfaces where you describe the workflow you want to have happen and it creates it for you, you know, and maybe it doesn't get it perfect, but it's not a black box. It creates a workflow, but then you get to see that whole workflow and you're like, yeah, no, I want to tweak this one piece. Or I want to tweak this one piece, but it gets you like 90% of the way. Oh my goodness. And this stuff is again, still early. You see where this is going to be in a year or two. And it's just like, these are the cases of Gen AI that get me really excited because it feels like it's going to let more and more non-technical marketers leverage the power of all this technology and data in a way that they've kind of been at arm's length from. 
And recognizing that technology and the tools are not perfect yet. I think for some people, this topic can be so huge and overwhelming that it's hard to approach, right? But I think if I imagine your end state there where a marketer is typing a question in about data and the answer is able to be translated and produced back to them, again, without an ops person being the one and going and digging through all the reports to make that happen. Like, I think that's a great aspirational North Star to work towards. If I'm sitting in an ops seat though, and that's my aspiration, like what are the building blocks from where I am today to getting to that end state? Like, what do I need to have in place in order for that to become a reality for my company, for our internal digital operations? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing is the data layer. First of all, having the infrastructure in place for that. But then the second is like, there does need to be some organization, you know, to how this data is structured and the more sort of metadata or data catalog sort of stuff you can like drive around this so that, again, this is useful for humans, but it also becomes useful for any tool you're going to plug this into that they understand the data structures and what data is what and where it is. And then if you have the data governance layer of like making sure like, okay, well, you know, there needs to be certain permissions and, you know, different people have access to different data. And so even if they're using agents operating on their behalf, those agents are still under the same governance constraints as the human would be if they were doing it manually. Like, to be honest, if you get that in place, first of all, that benefits almost everything you're doing in marketing right now, even all the stuff you're doing manually, you know, any stuff you're doing with other algorithms, the data layer there is amazing. But this is the beauty of a lot of these Gen AI tools is actually once you've got that stuff and you can like just connect it, you don't really have to do a lot. This is the magic of these LLMs is they actually do a whole lot of the work for you. And so I think, yeah, if you're getting that infrastructure and that governance right, and there's a lot of work to be done there. We're going to be doing that work for a long time. But you know, as you just keep step by step making it better and better, I think you're going to inherit a tremendous amount of capability within how that gets attached to these Gen AI tools at the layer above. And I think too, any flavor of, call it RevOps, I think has always served as that translation layer, right? Between the data and the business. And we've certainly come a long way in terms of the importance put on the underlying data layer. But now like that's everything. Like if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what you layer on top of it. If you don't have that foundation that is clean in a way that you can access and ask those questions, it doesn't matter. And so do you think that kind of your business-facing, internal go-to-market type ops people need to get closer to the data engineering side of things in order to make this a reality? Or like, do you think that you know data engineering will just kind of grow as a function in order to make this a reality? I think it's a collaboration and it's exactly this. It's not that every marketing ops person or rev ops person needs to become a data engineer, but that translation layer is just so friggin' valuable because the people who are really like hardcore data engineers might be stereotyping this a bit, but they've invested so much of their calories and their energy and their learning in data engineering. All the different dynamics of how does a RevOps team manage, you know, territories and commission structures and discounting and pricing programs like I haven't given any thought to that. You know, all the things of like marketing of, yeah, how are we thinking about these different campaigns and how this sequences in a, you know, customer. It just, 
that's not what the data engineers have spent their life really perfecting the expertise on. And so I think having these marketing ops or ops people who are in a position that they can collaborate, they can speak enough of the language of the data and the technology that the data engineers understand what they want. The ops people can like sort of understand, okay, well, what are the constraints or the order of operations and creating that capability? Oh, okay, you give me this as an infrastructure. Here's how now I can like layer on sort of the higher level activities that I want to do with that. That's a great collaboration. So it's definitely understand enough data engineering to have that conversation and that collaboration. But yeah, I think ops people have a huge value that isn't about them becoming data engineers. Super helpful. We just came out with the 2024 MarTech report as we're recording this. It's pretty recently published. When you look ahead to next year's report, what are you looking forward to? I look forward to being amazed. I think this sort of stuff we've been talking about around these almost magical-like capabilities of Gen AI, you know, with self-surfacing data and being able to compose more experiences and having more of the data connected across the company universal data layer. The truth is, right here today, those things are still very early. You know, when people look at examples of them, it's like, okay, that either takes a lot of work or here's the flaws with it. But the pace at which these technologies are evolving right now is, I mean, it's mind blowing. And well, I am definitely not one to prognosticate like, oh, and this amazing, you know, we'll have this future of these flying cars and all this sort of stuff. I am really optimistic that a year from now, the state of what we're able to do with these generative AI technologies in the domain of marketing, it's, it's, we're going to be amazed. I'm, I'm going to be amazed. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Normally, I ask favorite part about working in ops. I'm going to ask you favorite part about working with ops. Oh, it is a creative profession that isn't recognized as much as it should be as a true creative profession. Flip side, least favorite part about working with ops. Oh, man, ops people are just under such weight of there's just so much more to do than hours in the day. I empathize with <laughs> the, the, the stress that creates. I think that's fair. Someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today. Oh, Dharmesh Shah. And last one, one piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Oh, follow your passion. We are so lucky to be in this time where so many things are changing and evolving. I know it's really stressful going back to that thing for the marketing ops folks, but there's so much opportunity to like create and pioneer what the future of this stuff is. And so if you love it, yeah, like lean into it. And I think you'll find that will lead to very exciting roads. Thanks so much to Scott for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. Also, special shout out to Jill Rowley for introducing me to Scott in the first place. Thank you, Jill. All right. If you'd like to hear from our show today, make sure you are subscribed so you get a new episode in your feed every other Friday. Also, if you learned something from Scott today or from any of our episodes, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Today's episode is sponsored by Fullcast, your go-to-market planning platform. 
If you've ever spent hours or days building territory and quota plans only to have them be out of date the second the reps hit the street, you need to check out Fullcast. With Fullcast, you set intelligent rule-based policies that automate all of the time-consuming manual tasks that hit RevOps teams throughout the year. With virtually no effort, operations will always seamlessly align with your plan. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io.